here. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. I'll actually just read this uh, for us. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's going to be hard for me not to like say it in our normal rhythm, but um, I'll read it, and then we'll talk about it. Um, Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'll read on a couple more verses there. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we pray that your spirit, uh, who is in us, who is with us, will enlighten our hearts and our minds to understand this. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a well-worn path. It's a beautiful path. We pray that, the, uh, that our, that our uh, familiarity with it uh, doesn't make it boring, that you, you breathe a freshness in it, that you, that you, uh, that you get us, uh, wake our minds uh, to be active and, and chewing on what's here. Help to shape us uh, in, our, in, our, in our understanding of you, our understanding of, of the work that we have today, and in our, in, in our hope of uh, what the kingdom will look like in the future. In your name, amen. All right, so um, this text is huge. Uh, this is, uh, text is really huge up here. We pray it every week. Um, what's going on here? You know, there are many ways to go about this. So I'm just going to try one stab at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, I, I kind of think that I could give a sermon on the Lord's Prayer every single week because there's just so much in here. Like, what the problem is, what, what, what do you speak to because there's so much? Or more, is how much am I leaving out? So I'm only giving one sliver of, uh, of, of the beauty that's, uh, that's in here. And Jesus, I kind of want to go about it this way. Jesus has a mission. Just, Jesus has an understanding that as a disciple, uh, we have an ultimate goal. We have an end. We have uh, a, a mission that he has handed to his people, and, and, and it takes something to get that mission done. Now, now oftentimes, we get clouded. As Christians, we are followers of Christ. That's what Christian means, a follower of Christ. But our weekly lives uh, sometimes kind of confuse us a bit as to what the mission is, and this thing was unexpected, and now what do I do about this? And sometimes we just kind of lose focus on the big mission of, of what's there. You know, sometimes it's, it's as though we are, uh, we are you know, we're, we're out, we know the goal of the game is to win the game, right? But after the momentum shifts left and right, and the score goes up and down and whatever, you know, this is third quarter, and it's time for us to huddle up together, and the coach says, okay, yes, there were some highs, there were some lows, Here's the mission. Now we got to go get it done. The game is not over. And so that's kind of what the Lord's Prayer is doing. The blessing for us is that every morning is the Lord's Prayer for us, it's the third quarter pep talk for us, and we get to go to it every single day, and we get to be reminded of what that kingdom is. So uh, in John 17, this is at the end of Jesus's ministry on earth. You don't need to turn there. You can, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what, what happens here. Uh, Jesus prays in the garden. He prays this thing called the high priestly prayer, and he, he prays to the Father. So Jesus is praying to his Father, God, and he's saying, here's the mission. Please help my people with the mission. Please help my disciples. He says this. He says, uh, I have manifested your name, Father, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And then he goes on to say a little later, he says, I have given them your word, 
And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. So that's, that's, the, father, or that's the son talking to the father saying, I know the mission. And the mission is that they be in this world and they do the work that needs to be done. There is a mission and we are sent on it. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus teaches a prayer that helps his disciples to align themselves to that mission. It's the same kind of thing. It's a different conversation, same mission, same tools to get there. And so as the people who are sent to Christ into this world to sanctify the world through our work, what are we supposed to do? So what I want to do is I want to look at this prayer. It's a prayer that, that poetically reminds us. It helps us reorient our lives. When, when things get a little bit loud and, and, and other areas of life kind of speak into things, it just kind of reorients us to God, our Holy Father. It reorients us to the Father's kingdom and the Father's will. And then it answers the question for us, how do we go about bringing the kingdom and will of God into the world as his disciples? So those are kind of the questions, those are kind of the thoughts as we move through this text. And I'm going to divide the text up here into, into those, those three points. Um, the first, we're going to look at our Father. The second, we're going to look at his kingdom and his will. And then the rest of, you know, verses, what is that, 11, 12, 13, we're going to say, how do we get this done? And uh, we see that we ask for things that I normally wouldn't ask for. So it begins with, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, yeah, just note that it says, our Father. Unlike Jesus' high priestly prayer, the one I just told you about, where he prays to his Father, here, the text, the wording is, our Father. And that's significant. Our Father. He's not saying like our Father here, just us in the church. This is Jesus included, reminding us that the truth uh, of the truth that, that is echoed in Galatians 3.26, namely that it says, quote, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So we are all children of God. We can come to our Father, but it's not simply just our Father because of Christ. It's Christ's Father as well. He's there in it with us. That's something pretty special. That's, that's, that's wording of the Son, the, 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 the firstborn Son, Jesus Christ, and we get to pray to our Father with him. His Father is our Father through faith. So then quoting uh, last week, Psalm 103, we approach God the Father as a Father who shows compassion to his children. We don't approach God as this big evil ogre in the sky and we have to appease him with our confessions and, and our pleas that he doesn't strike us down. We don't have to come to Father with prayer uh, uh, as though he's a genie in the bottle. He's just going to do whatever we say, whatever our wish list is. We just submit, and I don't know why we think we just have it in our mind, and he doesn't know what we need already, and we just need to tell him, here's the list, get it done. We don't approach him that way. He is a loving Father, and we can approach him as a loving Father who gives good gifts to his children. And so we can confidently cry out to him and ask him to do those things, knowing that he is a father. But he's not a pushover father. <laughs> we come to him reverently. That's the next line of the prayer. Uh, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed, that's a, that's a strange word today. We don't use that so much. I think pastors do because we are weird 
like that. But, um, but no, what, what, is that, what is that kind of that range? What's going on there with this idea of Hollywood? Uh, Hollywood is holy. Um, if you have another translation, you might have some of these words. So it's like holy. Holy is your name. Or um, I guess sanctified is your name. That's kind of the same thing. The idea of holy is to be completely set apart. It's, it's, it's other. It's different. It's a different thing. Hollywood be your name. And, 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 and when it comes to God, he is holiness. Holiness is, is part of him, but it's, it's even not just set apart because he's just different. He's better because of it. So it's that as well. It's not just here, it's here. You know, he's, he's much different. Hollywood be your name. And it's not just saying like, uh, I, I think when I was a kid, you know, I wrestled with this, with this prayer because I always thought it was this like weird, stuffy, like acknowledgement. Like when you, when you come up to, you know, a king or a queen, you just out of obligation say, your majesty, you know, and you say, oh, Hollywood, you know. And I felt like it was one of those things. And I was like, okay, yes, Father, Hollywood, you know. And then we go and it's this greeting. Well, it's not that. It's not, it's not one of those titles. It's not one of those, you know, uh, salutations to uh, to our Heavenly Father. It's actually more of like a plea. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a wish. It's a desire of ours. It says, uh, let your name be holy. Uh, I, I wish your name was Hollywood uh, here on earth. Uh, maybe here's, here's, here's a really, really pointed way to say this. God, restore your holy name. I think that's kind of what we're saying. Our Father who art in heaven, restore your holy name and, and do that through us. Now, uh, probably get some emails here, but I, I feel like it's really helpful <laughs> to, to, uh, to, 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 to go here and use this wording because why do we need to do that? It's because we take the Lord's name in vain. Now, I want to clarify this. See, as, as, as a kid, I really struggled through this because I was told wonderfully and rightly and militantly, uh, like, there is the Lord's name of vain, and that is it. Like, how do you take the Lord's name in vain? It's those three words, and I'm, oh, my God. But then I open up the Psalms, and I had this, like, crisis. I'm like, David! You, oh, all over the place. So what is that? You know, I was like, you, well, this is different. Um, what is it then? You know, it really gave me that cry. I feel like it's helpful to talk about here. Uh, it's, it's an idea that, that it's a posture. It's, a, it's, it's an attitude towards it. Now, we could say those words. If, if you're going to hedge it, like, just don't go there and don't say those words. Don't even go OMG. Like, don't do that just to be safe, but to really explore it. It's not so much the words that are being said because David says it in prayers for the church. Uh, it's an attitude. It's a posture of that. It's when you take the Lord's name in vain, word nerd here, vain means nothingness. It's to speak of something as its nothingness, as its smoke, as its vanity. It's, it's, it's just not there. It's to, it's to disregard it. It's to say, I am a Christian on Sunday and all of you and I, we're doing what Christians should do right now. This is great. And then walking out of here and taking his name like it's nothing. And then we turn that corner and we do the things that we know we shouldn't do. And we go that route. We come back because we confess our sin <laughs> over and over again. We'll do that in the prayer. It's that. Hollywood be your name. Now, I want to say this moment, we're, we're going to go to confessing our sin in here. And so on our level, we take his name in vain, in thought, word, and deed, by what we've done and what we left undone. These are things that you should recognize in the wording but it's also saying the world does this. The world has not placed you as holy, as set apart in a good way. The world has not uh, uh, said your name is great. The world has competed for that area of king in, in our lives and in our hearts. And so when I ask that your name be holy again, I am asking that in my life and in the world around me, that your name be king. 
I'll leave it there. <laughs> That's a tough one. How does that happen? It's the merging of the kingdoms. It's the merging of the worlds. We get into that second couplet there. It's verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, here, Jesus focuses our hearts uh, not on, on, on the Father, but now on his kingdom and on his will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth when in, uh, as it is in heaven. Okay, so in this life, when marriage is tense, when finances are tight, when this week has been too much, it's easy to ask the question, what's the point? What was the point? What's the goal? What are we measuring success? How are we doing this? Are we measuring the right things? How do we even know what success is? What is the mission? And what is the entire purpose? Is it just to get up and get shaken in a bag and then go to sleep exhausted and then do it again? Here the prayer reminds us of our big overarching mission. And our mission is to bring about the kingdom of God and the plan of God. Literally, the, 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 the will of God means the desire of God into this world. So, before we move on a little bit, uh, this is how his name is Hollywood. This is how the kingdom comes. There's a picture we've got on the screen here um, that'll be kind of helpful. It's a very simple illustration. So, uh, oftentimes we think um, of this idea of your kingdom come. Um, heaven is up there, blue, wonderful, celestial, uh, and earth is just awful, and it's down here. And we are in earth right now. If you didn't know that, you are. Um, that's where we are right now. And part of the curse is that we're just stuck down here, right? Um, so sometimes this prayer can go this way. We say, your kingdom come. Uh, and really what we're meaning is the king come and take me to the kingdom. Uh, and, and we think that this kingdom is up here, away from us, and eventually at one point, Jesus is going to come down, and he's going to say, all of those who I love, let's get out of here, and then we go away. But the kingdom, but the problem with this is, is that's not exactly like what scripture says, uh, which is always a good, a good check there, uh, because he says, your kingdom come, that's different. Uh, so this other picture then, is a little bit more of the kingdom come. It's this idea that, that, that heaven isn't here and earth is here and this world is terrible and we close our eyes and we pray and we can think about the thing that will eventually happen one day. They're here. Luke 17, 20. I'm not making it up. Um, you can follow along here. Uh, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. And Jesus says, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus even says that. He says, it's not going to be this time and this place where all of a sudden, boom. See, when Jesus comes again, he says he's going to make all things new. He's going to restore the world. He's going to restore things and punish uh, death and sin, and he's going to send them to a place and restore the good world as he has intended it. And we won't be able to say, look, there it is, or over there. The kingdom is in the midst. Now, I'm not pushing some, like a post-millennial notion <laughs> that we can bring about the kingdom on this earth on our own. Like, that's, that's not where I'm going with it. Rather, rather, we're to understand that the kingdom of God is wherever God is king, or wherever the rule and reign of God is first in the minds and the hearts of people. That's where the kingdom is. 
When I say, who is your king? Your heart, your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, show me who your king is. That's how we know where the kingdom is. That's how you can live in another, in another, uh, in another kingdom, in another uh, government. Now, here today, in this world, you can live in another one, but really still pledge allegiance to a different one while respecting the other government. There, there's a way that we can do this in our regular lives, and sometimes we don't think we can do this with our spiritual lives. This is what we're called to do, to bring this about. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven by manifesting that, by showing that, by bringing that together and living out the decrees, the goodwill of our Father, whose name is holy. And so the kingdom of God is in the midst of us or within our reach in so much as we are able to make God the ultimate authority of our lives each day. And this decision or this action, or this posture, it requires an aligning of our will to that of God's. And so we pray, the next line, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It would be one thing to passively observe God's will happening, like we sit in the bleachers and we just like watch his will play out. It's quite another thing when Jesus uh, tells us to pray. He says, pray like this and speak this with your words. Create a thing that's there. You've said it. It's binding. It's a real thing. When he asks you to do that, he tells you to do that. It's quite a different thing when you're asked to uh, affirm God's divine prerogative. That what he says goes. Your will be done. When we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're entering into a relationship of expectancy. We're entering a relationship of activity. We're not sitting on the bleachers. We are entering into helping him usher the kingdom. He doesn't need that help. He chooses to use us to usher in that kingdom. And we're saying, I'm on board. I don't want to ride the bench. I want to be in there making this happen. That's what happens when we say that. We say, uh, uh, in essence, maybe just rephrasing, we say, we say uh, do what you want, God. As you do it, give me the eyes to see it. Give me the ears to hear it. Give me a heart to welcome it. Give me the will to do it. This prayer is not an echo of, uh, of, of Jesus' Gethsemane prayer. He says, um, not my will, but yours be done, which I've always thought, you know, as a kid, I read this and I'm like, wait, not my will, but yours be done. You're God the Father and God the Son, and you're praying to yourself, and now your will, and what is happening? Um, there's something in that, that Jesus models for us as a human, but he's not, we're not saying that. And I'm not correcting Jesus' words. It makes me sound like I am. I'm not correcting Jesus' words. He's a good prayer. He knows a lot about prayer, so, so give me on that. But it's not the same as what we're praying here when we pray this prayer. So he says, not my will, but yours be done. But when we pray this, we're saying, your will become my will. Does that make sense? Your will become my will. I want to merge into the waters of your will so that they're one and the same. Jesus earlier had taught this prayer. He has already thought this. Merge our wills together. So in the prayer that he prays, not my will, but yours be done, what he's saying there and modeling there for us is this deep uh, uh, honesty within that relationship of, of the son and the father where he says, yeah, my will is your will. I mean, we're the same guy. <laughs> we're, we're God. We have the same will. We know what, what this is. That will is the salvation of people, the, the restoration of things to good. But in this moment, God, true honesty, I am, I am human and I am not looking forward to the next 48 hours of my life. So right before Jesus is is, is you know, taken away, 
and tried, persecuted, and crucified. He says, yeah, my will is your will. I get that, but I want to be honest. This is going to be difficult. And that gives us great, a great example for how we can do this. We can pray confidently. Not my will, but yours be done. Not uh, uh, make my will your will, even if it's difficult for me. I think that's, that's a hard one. That's a challenge that the Lord's Prayer invites us to. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even if it's not the most enjoyable process for me. So I want to I want to set uh, set this up. Recap what we've done. This is just this is powerful here in these first few lines of this. But we're going to make a turn here. So to recap, the Lord's prayer provides us the words to align to God's plan. It describes our Hollywood or our Holy Father and His authoritative will or His good desire. And what is that desire? It's for reconciliation. It's for restoration. It's for salvation of the world. By praying this prayer uh, that he gives us and praying it regularly, we're reminded of the meaningful purpose of each day. We're reminded of the right, ultimate goal of our constant striving. We're reminded of our real hope for tomorrow. And that hope is the increase of his kingdom. And his kingdom is that of peace, that of joy, of justice, of mercy and love. To see those things more and more in the world around us, as we are actively bringing those into the world around us increasingly. And because the mission is the increase of his kingdom each day, I just have to say, as a human being, as me, that's a big task. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure how we get that done. And so we're supposed to ask this question, how do we get it done? Now, one option is we could read a bunch of leadership books and roll out ministry paradigms. The other option is we could read the next verses here because Jesus beats us to the punch. He is wise and already knows if we're going to pray for something, to ask for the right things. These are strange things that I would not ask for. He tells us what we need for this mission is bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. So we'll look at those now. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. There's a whole lot that we could go in here. Uh, I'm just going to give you one small sample of where we go with this. The language here is strange. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. So, I mean, on one level, we could say, yeah, feed me today. That's true. There's, there's a real physical thing happening here. But this daily bread, there's imagery within this. There's imagery within this prayer. Uh, this daily bread, it, it, it sends us to remember and to anticipate. We remember, where, where was daily bread back, at, back before this in Scripture? Where, where did people have to rely on daily bread? The Israelites in the wilderness, manna, bread from heaven. And they're told, only take what you need for today. If you take more, it spoils. And they're given a double, a double portion so that they can make it through the Sabbath. He provides them of what they need. So we look back. And when we pray this prayer, we say, give us our daily bread. We remember ourselves. He invites us to imagine ourselves as, as the Israelites in the Exodus. In the wilderness wandering of this life, we need bread. And so if you come to God, if you come today, you do come today. Needing something, thirsting for something, having a question for something. Like that's there. He acknowledges that. He says, you need it. So just say it. And I just saying, I got needs, God saying, give us the answer to that need. Give us our daily bread. But this wording also then directs us, as we remember, to point to the pattern 
uh, the point and the pattern of our sustenance. Uh, you can read along here uh, on the screen. John 6, Jesus says this. Uh, in, in one of the Gospels, he says, I am that bread from heaven. So there you go. Uh, John 6, though, says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We can come to God and pray expectantly that he will provide what we need because he is the bread of life. He's not simply the bread for today. He's the bread for life, and we need him daily. And so when we ask for how do we get this done, I'm just going to translate this. The kingdom come, the Father is holy, and we want his name to be restored. Bring about your kingdom. Smash them together through our thoughts and our words and our actions as the church, as the incarnated body of Christ in the world here. Help us today, while we wait for the ultimate kingdom, help us to bring about aspects of the kingdom, to bring the glory here, to see it more and more while we wait. And how do we do that? Please give us Christ. That's what we pray for. Verse 12. Oh, no, no, sorry, not quite there. Uh, but Jesus' words, I am the bread of life, they bring about this, this spiritual level. So when we have bread here, I, I don't want to like poo-poo on the, on the today stuff. There is a real need. You may need finances or health or you may need uh, help reconciling a relationship or you may need something there. there. There are real needs in this world that we can pray for. Other parts of Scripture speak heavily to this. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he reminds us very vividly to, to not forget that your deepest need is Christ, that your deepest need is spiritual. You may have money or not, you will always need Christ. You may have uh, marriage or kids or health or whatever it may be, or you may not, you will always need Christ. And so it reminds us to see the kingdom, the smashing together of the kingdom there in our midst in that prayer when we ask for that bread. We need bread. We need Christ. We need the bread of life because we're hungry, because we're thirsty, and because we are in debt. Verse 12 now. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. What's unique to the message of the Christian movement is forgiveness. And it's not simply forgiveness for the sake of forgiveness. It's forgiveness built upon selfless love. There it is. That's the uniquely Christian thing. Like, that really is unique. I'm not just saying it to make Christianity sound better. That's unique. And that's weird. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew when he was saying, I'm going to die for everyone, that that was weird. That's not what should happen. It was scandalous. How he did his ministry was built on selfless love, and that was strange. People didn't get it. The Messiah shouldn't do that. Our conquering king doesn't do that. That's what's unique to us. So Jesus shows up in the first century A.D., creating the first century A.D., uh, but also uh, speaking a new message. He says, in this world, uh, there is a downward a spiral of exchanging of blows between people. There has been. There always will be. And that stops with me. And that stops with my people. And so when we pray this, when we pray this, we, uh, we align ourselves to that task. We align ourselves to the task of forgiving. You see, forgiveness that Christ provides us and then in turn requires of us to extend to others as we bring about his kingdom in our midst is not simply one of passive, uh, of a, a passive forgive and forget, uh, don't mention it, sorry you feel that way kind of forgiveness. Colossians 2, 
tells us powerfully what that kind of forgiveness is. And you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him. That's huge. We were dead and now we're alive. And he did this by having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I want to leave that one up there a little bit. I'll talk about it. The words of Colossians 2 vividly clarify that in the process of forgiving our our debts, now I'm going to invite you to slow down the text and imagine here with me. What happens in this language? It's like he picks up our sins. He sizes them up. He he has this thing. It says in there, what does it say? The record of debts. There is a record of debts. Josh Casey, here it is. Debt, 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 debt. A record, a literal record of debts for each one of us. And he's taken it, and he's sized it up, and he's read it. He's, he's, he's assessed the damage done in these debts. He's counted the collateral needed to cover these debts. And then he nails it to the cross. That's incredible. He says, done, stamped, paid in full. This is good. We're done. We don't need it. You can throw it in. I don't care. You throw it in the file cabinet if you want. We're never going we're not going to pull it out. That's what's done. That's what happens here. He, he sees the record of debts that stood against us with its legal demands. And the legal demand is death. That's what it is. And then he says, hey, I'll take that death and nail it. Done. I don't think we regard our sin the same way that Jesus regards our sin. That's pretty intense. I mean, this is a really intense uh, passage here. So maybe one thing that I, I would give you in dealing with, with, with sin, because it's so awkward sometimes. It's, it's, it's humiliating, uh, which we need to be humiliated. It's awkward to talk about with other people because it's, again, humiliating. And, and, it, and it just makes us not feel awesome, which is exactly kind of what sin does. But I give you some of this. Maybe if I can speak this, it might start the conversation, you know, in other places. We really do need to name our sins, like actually name our sins. Size them up, read them, and nail them to the cross. I think sometimes we can, we can tend to, I mean, we do confess here, and we say, I mean, we have really general terms, you know, today even. Uh, we, we confess what we've done and what we've left undone, something like that, we said. That's pretty general. Okay, what did I do that was wrong what websites did I view? Like, name those. You should have, uh, uh, like, a disgust in yourself on those things. Uh, how much did I drink, and was that okay? How am I spending my money? When, when I speak to my kids, am I speaking out of anger? Because it's not a sin to be angry, but it's definitely a sin to act on that anger. Name that. Like, we should hate sin. If we really want God to be holy, we really need to hate our sin. And by naming it, it does something to us that I hate to say what I've done. For years, I've come up here and I've confessed my sin before everyone shows up. That was the worst thing I can do. It's like how I start in the morning. Why would you do that? Because I can't actually make much of God if I realize that I'm not the point of the show. And so I do that because now I feel like trash. And so go ahead, God. I'm not a worthy servant to do this. Go. It does something to you. My wife and I did this last night. Um, before we go to bed, we, we, we just, we're having a conversation and we realize, we, we, like, to confess. And we, we oh man, it's, oh, it's awful. We just sit there and say, like, I, I had to tell, like, I'm sorry that I apologize. Forgive me for being selfish, that I don't hear 
the way you, you needed me to respond today. Like there was, there was something in it. I didn't hear what she said that she needed. It kind of set us off into something uh, not too big, but it was there and we don't need it to be there. And when I really was honest, the reason why it set the whole thing off is because I was selfish and chose not to. I mean, it's something like helping hold the baby, you know? It's something as simple as that, but my selfishness said, uh, not gonna help right now and do this project here, something like that. And what happened to me is now, now I'm mortalizing it here in my mind. Like, I don't ever wanna do that again because I hate that because I share that and now you all know how selfish I am. You do that with God and pretty soon there's this repulsion of your own sin that gets there and I don't think Americans today uh, have a repulsion to sin. And we need to. We need to think of it as really, really, really bad. And I think that's one of the things that, that we lack is we want to have something that's very seeker-sensitive, that's fun and easy to get to, but really what we really need is we need a big, to make a big deal of our sin because that's what the world really needs. And I, and I, and I, and I encourage you to, to think about that more. And see, and I'm making a big deal of this. See, so I'm not going off on some, some hobby horse tangent here because as we read verses 14 and 15, Jesus makes a big deal of that because he comes back and he says, there's the, there's, there's the plan, there's the prayer. By the way, guys, if you didn't think I was serious, if you forgive others, I'll forgive you. If you don't, good luck. Yikes. (laughs) Like, I've always read that and thought, man, that's intense, Jesus. And I think now at this point, presenting it to you, I could say his response is, yeah, I know. (laughs) Hollywood be my name, and how's it going to be Hollywood if we don't really take care of this sin thing? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Verse 13. It's that we go into this work, but there's something that has to happen. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This brings us all the way back to where we started with Jesus' prayer. Uh, John 17, 15. You can follow along on the screen. Jesus prays to the Father. I do not ask that you take them, uh, his disciples, us, the disciples, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Don't cancel the mission. Keep it going, but protect them in the process. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we daily labor in this world, Father, protect us, that we may not cave into the temptation to elevate another name above your holy name, that we may not design or follow a plan other than your goodwill, that you deliver us from that which we cannot deliver ourselves namely evil. Keep us in this world that we might advance your kingdom and protect us from evil while we work because we know, we just sang it, we're prone to wander. That, in a nutshell, is the Lord's Prayer. Um, I mean, it's not the one that we pray, I guess, for a sake of levity. There's another part, King James says, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. We pray that as well. And that's good. That's King James. We do it. This is what he gave us. This is what's here. I, I do want to make a note because we're about to pray this like we do. Uh, but as I've looked at this, and I, I, I've not taken this you know, lightly, and I, and I hate you know, messing with the wording here and there, I really would like to, we're going to see that we, we usually have prayed uh, trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses, those who give uh, trespass against us. Um, we've had uh, our Father who art in heaven. I've cleaned up some of that language. I wanted to really reflect the wording that's here. Uh, I've also uh, looked at just that idea of the word that's here for debt is so powerful um, in, in, in all of Scripture, that idea of debt. 
that I didn't want us to, to get sidetracked on this idea of trespass, which is also a big thing. But so the wording that we'll have each week, and you'll see today, is we change it to debt. I have it written on the screen, so you just read it, and you won't be the guy who says trespasses, you know, uh, while we're all praying. But I wanted to give you guys a heads up on that, that there was real thought in how that wording changes. Also, I checked with the other campuses. We now have a, a unified approach, like we're saying the same words uh, when we say debts and those who uh, end our debtors. Uh, so I just kind of want to give, that's a little structural thing um, there. So uh, the, last, the last part here, then what do we do with this? Just how do we drop this in? How do we pray this uh, each week? Why do we pray this each week? Uh, two, two aspects of this. Here, Sundays, corporately, together, and then in your home and in your lives. Uh, like other elements of our regular worship, it's intended uh, to give the words. This prayer is intended to give words, thoughts, and actions to your daily rhythms. That's what we're doing. In confession, we're trying to uh, habituate our hearts to want to confess, to be more, more easy to confess on a daily basis. Uh, there's this benediction at the very end of the service. Uh, it's to remind us daily that we are sent out into the world to take this message there. We come to the table to remind us that each day we can come and understand the cost of, of, our, uh, of our forgiveness of our sins. And so what happens here in the Lord's Prayer when we pray this is that we are kingdom agents being shaped and formed and being given the daily bread and being given forgiveness and being given deliverance that we then, this is why it happens after the sermon, so we have the content here of our faith and then we are equipped there with the mission and then we sing a song, we do this, uh, this the, the, the Lord's Supper and then we have the benediction that says there's the mission, now go. So what do we do with that then when we, when we go? Uh, this is, it's really good for us to pray this here. It's one of the best places because uh, how many times does it say me or my? It says none. Rather, it says our Father, give us our bread, forgive us our debts as we forgive those um, who, who, uh, who or as we forgive, lead us not but deliver us. There's, there's a very corporate sense of this. We should be praying this together. We should be praying this in a group. So when you translate this to home, to, uh, to community groups, to whatever it would be, it's good to pray together. Uh, do this at your table prayer. Uh, do this at your family meals. Uh, talk through this. Ask some questions. Our kids learn this. Uh, they, they, they've, they've been learning the Lord's Prayer. They, they should know the Lord's Prayer. You can do this as an evening review. I do this in the morning to say, God, this is the mission. Set this, set this before me. I had a pastor one time tell me that he prayed this every single morning for, for years. He ended up writing a book about the Lord's Prayer. Um, and he said, it's amazing how it seems so simple, but the more you pray it, the more it's on your mind the more you see the world through that, and every time you come back, it's richer and richer and richer and richer. Now, it sounds like a sales pitch. It kind of is. You should try it, because <laughs> that will get you there. Um, the more you do it, the more you want to do it. It's just a crazy thing. I can't explain it uh, any more than that, but I would encourage you to try it, even if for a week. Pray it and think about it, and think about it this way.